most exciting little players you'll see. The dangerous Dino Hall. Dino Hall, not big, but he'll put his nose right in there. Dino Hall at the 10, to the 20, the 30, the 40, and Dino Hall all the way to the 50-yard line. 40 yards for an exciting haul, one of the smallest men in the National Football League. Look at this little guy turn it on. That tremendous return by Dino. Dino how about that? Dino Hall, our guest here on the Rack Me Check Your Brain Swapcast here on Patreon or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everybody. Tony Mazer here with you. And, uh, yeah, Dino Hall was a kick returner and punt returner and running back for the Cleveland Browns back in the late 70s and into the early 80s. And uh, it's kind of interesting how this interview kind of came about and Myself, Tony Mazer here, and uh, Chad Zumach, comedian. Also, both of us Cleveland Browns fans, born and raised in Northeast Ohio. And we're talking to a guy that our co-host Ken Mosca happens to know from the, quote-unquote, the old neighborhood over in uh, New Jersey, not far from uh, Atlantic City. So it's kind of an interesting tie-in that we ended up having him on. And uh, so we got a chance to talk to Dino about just his days playing with the Browns and being an undersized, as you heard there in that clip, an undersized guy joining the league. And, you know, the odds are really against you. And they seem like the odds were against him from the very beginning. But he somehow managed to find a way to make his name in the pros and get an NFL pension. So that's pretty good. We talked about some other uh, football-related topics as well in this podcast. So I hope you enjoy this. This first part is a the majority of the podcast is going to be what we call a swap cast with Rack Me and Check Your Brain. As you hear, if you're listening to this on Check Your Brain, um, we also have a Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Rack Me. Uh, that's our football podcast that we put out either once a week during the season or every other week for different content. So hope you enjoy that. And uh, I also have my Patreon, too, at patreon.com slash Tony Mazur, T-O-N-Y-M-A-Z-U-R. You get upwards of three to four podcasts per week. And then later on in this, after the Dino Hall interview, I had a chance to talk to Ron Jaworski. So how about that? Two, you know, east side of the area, Philadelphia, you know, got a chance to talk to him. It was more so not so much about football, but about heart health. And it was kind of a public relations interview, but it was kind of cool to talk to Jaws. So most of this interview is Dino Hall, and then I have about a nine-minute chunk of me talking to Ron Jaworski towards the end. So hope you enjoy this. My audio, by the way, is not that great on my end during the Dino Hall interview. It's not the greatest. It's not the quality you hear from an actual professional microphone like this. And that's because I was in the hospital. <laughs> it's true. I was in a hospital bed waiting to get discharged. So in the last week or so, I, I mean, I haven't been to a hospital in well over a decade. There was no reason to go to the hospital. And instead, I've now been there twice within a week. One for appendicitis, and then the other was for kidney stones. So I was in there. I'm hopped up on morphine during this interview. I'm not kidding. I'm on morphine during this interview, but I stayed pretty lucid during it and did the podcast, did the interview on Zoom from a hospital bed where during the interview, I actually muted it a couple of times. I had a blood pressure cuff and I had an IV in my arm, but still I had the wherewithal to do a podcast live from a hospital room as I was waiting to be discharged. So hope you enjoy this podcast today. Dino Hall, former Cleveland Browns, uh, punt returner, kick returner, special teams guy, I should say, and running back. And then 
you know, one of the great quarterbacks of his era back in the 70s and into the 80s, Ron Jaworski of the Philadelphia Eagles. That's towards the end of the podcast. Hope you enjoy this football-centric podcast here on Check Your Brain slash Rack Me, the Swapcast here. And thank you for listening, and thank you for subscribing, whether it's wherever you get your podcasts or on my Patreon. So without further ado, take it away, Ken Mosca. Look, to describe our guest today, uh, I think Doug Deacon said it best. Uh, Doug Deacon said that Dino Hall is one of the toughest Cleveland Brown Browns he's ever played with. And it's, uh, it's really great to see. Uh, I'll call him my old pal, Dino Hall. Dino, welcome to Rackin' Podcast with Chad Zumach wearing the Browns jersey and Tony up there in the emergency room. I see him. Yeah. Thanks, Ken. <laughs> Thanks for that introduction. Hey, uh, how's your son? Son okay? Uh, yeah, my son's doing great, Dino. Thanks. Uh, he's, uh, he's hanging in there. Uh, you know, my twins are 23 years old and as you may know, our, our Autism Foundation is in its 21st year, and um, July 14th, we're having our uh, uh, 12th annual comedy night at Seaview, and uh, a lot of your old buddies are there. A lot of your old buddies have been supporting us since uh, since day one. I'll have to get you some information about that, but um, nah, he's doing sounds great. Good. Yeah, yeah, he's doing sounds great. Good. Yeah, I'm thanks. like 10 minutes away from there. Yeah, yep. I, I, I know you're out there, so... Um, as I said, when I spoke with you, Dino, and our text messages back and forth, uh, both, you know, Tony and Chad are from Cleveland. Uh, they're both comics. Chad is now headquartered in Tampa. Tony's still in Cleveland. He's also the um, uh, director. What are you, Tony? The program director for uh, one station in Cleveland. Yeah, 107.3 in Cleveland. 107.3 okay. in, in Cleveland. So, you know, I used to I, be on 100.7 WMMS, The Buzzard. Wow. Yeah. So these are, uh, you know, I, I said to Chad, uh, Dino, that I was going to do an introduction and, and, I'll, and I'll dive in here and there. But these are uh, two crazy Cleveland Brown fans. If you recall, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. Yeah, we know. I can remember you. We I know. Can remember <laughs> Dino. I can remember Dino when I was playing baseball for the Hurricanes. He was uh, in, the, in the outfield before the game with, uh, with Keith LeVan, the lefty quarterback, Keith LeVan who, um, another good family friend. And another Margate guy, yeah. Another Margate guy, yep. And, and yep. guys, I got to tell you, so Dino is about 10 yards from, from, from Keith, who was a quarterback at, at, at Holy Spirit High School. Dino played at Pleasant High School, which is 20 minutes from where I live here in, in, in Ventnor. And, 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 and he was just, Keith was just ri- left him, just ripping him, just ripping him at Dino. And there's Dino, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> So, you know, Dino always had uh, special hands. And if he didn't play in the NFL, guys, Dino was a pretty damn good baseball player at what used to be Glassboro State. Uh, and Dino still resides in that Hall of Fame. Wow, Glassboro that's, State. that's incredible because one of my that, favorite places of all times. That was one of the first things I wanted to ask you, Dino, because with you being your size and, you know, I'm sure you probably had a lot of people tell you you can't make it or anything like that. Did, did it cross your mind when you came to, because you, you, there's always that stereotype of the baseball player, the scrappy second baseman, the speedy center fielder who's like, and it's usually someone who's undersized and everything, but you know, what made you, I mean, obviously what Ken was giving you your, your bio and a little bit of your resume and what you were able to do, but was there any thought to maybe, you know, I could do like a two sport uh, type of situation. Maybe I can look in terms of uh, turning pro and see where it takes me or was football just number one on your mind? Football wasn't number one on my mind. And, and the reason was I finally got talked out of 
playing football because everybody kept on saying how small I was. And I, I, I can go back to seven years old. I, you know, I was maybe 35 pounds playing football, organized football. And they said, well, he, he's good at this level, but the next level he won't make, which was a peewee, which then, you know, I made that. Then JV, yeah, he definitely won't make that. Then varsity came around and listen, I was, I was 92 pounds in a league that was uh, 145. And uh, there were some big people. And, um, you know, I ended up playing there, but I went through high school. I played four years at high school. My baseball coach said, look, if you have a shot at anything, it'll be baseball. You're, you're just too small to play football. I went to Glassboro. I, I didn't play football my first two years at Glassboro. I played fall baseball so I could make, and I did. I, I, I made the uh, varsity team the first two years there. But, um, you know, third year, I had a friend that I live with, and he said, look, we need defensive backs. So I said, oh, I can play defensive back. So I ended up going out for the football team, you know, maybe a week before their preseason. And uh, they had this thing, it was 2040s, and you had to run them under 5.1 seconds or something. It doesn't sound like much, but after 10, you know, you're running a pretty good clip. And so I, I didn't know. It was the first year I ever did it. So I'm, I'm sprinting at four, you know, four fives, the first 10, you know, and, and my buddy goes, listen, you're going to have to slow down or you're not going to make it. And without his coaching, I probably wouldn't have made it. But, yeah. I ended up getting hurt playing safety. I started safety for them. I got hurt. I came back. They said, look, we got this freshman. He's going to be our safety. Why don't you go to running back? I said, okay, I'll play running back. And then the rest is history. Next two years, you know, I had pretty good years for them. And um, luckily, honestly, I never got drafted, although I was contacted by a couple teams. Um, they knew they didn't have to draft me. Um, but I ended up getting a tryout with Jim Garrett in Monmouth Beach, uh, New Jersey. That was his his uh, home away from Cleveland. And I, Jim, if you don't know, Jim Jim's son is Jason Garrett. Jason, yep, Jason yep. and John. Yep, John also coaches and Judd, another one. Three of them played in the NFL. He played in the NFL and he coached. He had to coach twenty years in the NFL and mm -hmm. another twenty. But anyway, so I ran a four four nine for him by myself, and uh, you know he had me running around catching the ball, doing everything. He calls up Sam and Sam, Sam apologizes to Jim Garrett and says, look, man, I'm sorry. I know I sent you this slug. You know, he's a friend of Denny Lynch's and we just wanted to give him a tryout. And Garrett, Garrett said, no, no, we got to sign this kid. He can play. So that's how I got my break. And that was, that was six weeks before the camp. So I, I didn't even go to the mini camp that year. And that was Sam Ritigliano was uh, coaching the Browns at that time, right? Sam was the head coach. Yeah. yeah, and he was a piece of work. I mean, I'm sure you got some Sam stories out there too, but Ritigliano was a piece of work. He, um, he liked to have a good time though, didn't he? he i tell you what, he, great motivational speaker was Sam. Mm -hmm. thought. You know, um, and listen, coming from Glassboro where we had maybe 7,500 fans, the first game I played was against the Steelers at Cleveland Municipal, and it was 83,000, 85,000. I mean, it just – it was crazy to see that many people and that many crazy people about that game, especially the Steelers game. And uh, we ended up, we, we lost 51, 40, uh, 35, but it was a heck of a game. Like they started out, they were up 28, nothing. That's what, that's what I wanted to ask you. What's the first thought that comes to your mind when you, when I say municipal stadium, first thought. Well, one of the thoughts is how far, 
people that bought tickets at the 50 yard line were away from the field. <laughs> it was oh, yeah. 40 yards from the field because it was built for a baseball. So we used to actually, uh, when we separated into groups, our, our running back coach was Jim Garrett. He took us over there and we would actually work out in that little area. When I'm talking, it was 40 yards. It, it was, that was the one thing. The other thing is it, the infield kind of messed some things up. They tried to put grass down, but it always kicked out. Um, you know, they painted it green. Yeah, so it, it was kind of, <laughs> and, and they did paint it. They actually painted the field, which, you know, I didn't know until I rolled around in it, but yeah, they painted it. It's it, it's incredible when you think about those concrete donuts. I mean, that was that was the time before even playing at Veterans Stadium and Three Rivers and everything. And what was what was it like the dealing with the turf? You're going from playing at the stadium where they're painting the dirt, then you got to play on the road in Pittsburgh. You're playing up in Detroit at uh, you know. You know, on and on you're on playing on AstroTurf. Like, what, what was it like? Here you go, Dino. Here's a flashback for you. Well, here you go. Way <laughs> <laughs> to go, Chad. That's awesome. Well, there, look, see, see all the uh, room back in there? Yeah, look at that. Yeah. It's crazy. That's the dugouts I, back there, I, all the way in the end zone, right? Yeah, look yep. at that. Yeah, like, if you if you bought tickets <laughs> to fifty, you, you had worse seats, and then somebody was in the end zone. Although, they, they had the limited site seating. I don't know if you guys remember that. It was... Oh, yeah. uh, they actually had pillars and to hold, hold the roof up, which was a good thing, I guess. But they had seating behind the pillars. So oh, if yeah. Paul was on the one sideline, they couldn't see anything. And this was before jumbotrons. There was nothing. You just... <laughs> You're right. It was. <laughs> no, it, it, was, it, was, it was different back then. And, and to, to answer your question, Tony, I, I did not like AstroTurf. Um, I, and I thought the, the domes were the worst place to play, uh, especially the Houston Astrodome. It was, it was so hard to see the ball. Their ceiling was just so bright. And then when the ball came down from punting, it, it just was very difficult to pick up. And they had seams all over. So, you know, Keith Wright, the reason I ended up getting back into Cleveland was Keith Wright blew his knee out there, just making a cut. It wasn't like somebody tackled him and, you know, pounded his knee. Um, and you know you, you could get caught on the seam there, and you were blowing out a knee or something. How cold was it? Games. Oh, I'm how, sorry, Chad. Go ahead. How cold was it playing by on Lake Erie? I mean, you had to have been freezing yeah. your butt off. Yeah, but not every week. But you're, you, I tell you what, the uh, 1980 game against the Raiders was crazy cold. I mean, my wife was there. She wasn't my wife at the time, but she was there. She said the only place they could get warm was to go into the bathrooms. Yeah because they had heat in the bathroom everything and it was it was zero and it was 30 below wind chill the wind chill it was unbelievable but they had those seated hot uh seats I, kenny i don't know if you know the guy in pleasantville jenkins yeah yeah invented the heated uh, it's the jenkins hot seat in the, on main yeah. street in pleasantville um, and they are they brought them out for that game yep without them i don't know if we could have played that whole game i'll be honest with you without freezing I want to bring up uh, because you came out in 79 and you're talking about kind of this new renaissance of the Browns. So for folks listening, I mean, the Cleveland Browns, one of the great story franchises of all time, the AAFC. And then they say, can you make it in the NFL? And of course they did. And Jim Brown, Frank Ryan, uh, Paul, Paul Brown, all the way to Blant Collier. Then you had the 1970s with uh, Forrest Gregg and, 
the years were just the, the glory days of those teams were over. You had Art Modell firmly in place with Stadium Corp and everything. But then by the time the end of the 70s, you start to see things in place. Clay Matthews gets drafted and uh, um, Ozzie Newsome is a big part of it. And you're starting to see this turnaround. Then Sam Ritigliano is the head coach in 78. And things start to really kind of turn around, culminating with that 1980 season. Talk about how what you saw from when you got picked up by the team to what you saw and how that this team was building. Did you feel that when you joined the team that there was something brewing that was going to be very special that ended up culminating in that cardiac kids team in 1980? Well, I, you just mentioned Clay and, and Ozzie. That was their 78 draft class. That was a, a pretty good draft class. I mean, they got some special players in that class. Now, 79 was Willis Adams was the number one. I don't know if you guys even know who Willis Adams is. He, he played three or four years with us. He was a receiver, uh, but he was number one. Um, he just never amounted to what they thought he was going to be. But we had – our special thing was not so much the talent that we had, all, although we had some talented players. Our special thing – look, Brian Seip, uh one of the nicest people you're ever going to meet. I mean, genuine. Not, not a guy that said, look, I'm Brian Seib. I'm MVP of the league. I, I, I don't think I've ever heard him say anything like that. He just was one of those special people. And all the offensive linemen, I, like Doug Deacon, I, you know, when I come out, I still try to see him. I see Robert Jackson, who was another lineman, who, who Robert Jackson was integral in keeping that team together because he got us all together after every game. And we just – I, I know they don't do it now, but – we used to just go into regular restaurants and, you know, we'd have our meals together and sometimes they would put us in a room, but we would come back out and socialize. Well, they don't do that anymore, which I, I think eliminates fans from really seeing the type of person each player is. Um, and, and look, Brian, if, if you ever saw it, and you, I don't know if you guys have seen him recently, he's not a big man, but he, he nope. was a, he was a competitor, and uh, the thing is, he knew when to get rid of the ball. And I, I, I think um, one of the best things that I, I, I take away from that those years was how Brian was able to play and come back in the game with a concussion. Now, you know, concussion protocols now keep kid out, which is probably the right thing to do. But I, in my time with there, and I was five years, and Brian was there, he had to have. 10 cut concussions and that's, and he played prior to that. So I don't know how many in it, but he's doing spectacular, you know? Um, and look, my, my favorite uh, roommate is uh, Matt Miller and you guys may not, but he was in alignment too from 79. Uh, Cody Risen was a lineman that we got in 79. That was a really good pick. Another good friend. Um, I, you know, being five, seven, being smart, I hung out with those guys that were six, five, six, six, you know, cause that's a, they knew every time I came in the huddle, you know, I was going to give them everything I had and, and they actually gave me everything they had. So, um, and I, that's one thing I wanted to bring up. Um, I don't know what you guys think about the quarterback situation. How you see, I, I, I am a Baker Mayfield fan. I, I really like the kid. I, I think when you watch him in the huddle is where you actually pick up on him, Baker Mayfield. But he's playing position where if you're 100% healthy, it's hard enough. Let alone last year. He, I, I don't – well, Kenny, you played baseball. And, and listen, you're throwing the ball, and even though it's not your throwing shoulder, 
you got to bring the other shoulder up to throw the ball. That's got to hurt every time you do that. Um, you got somebody 300 pounds chasing you and, and you know, snarling at you. Um, you know, when they knock you down and fall on you, that's got you. So I don't know. I, I just think they didn't give him a fair shake this year. They should have sat him down. He should have been, you know, taken out at least four or five weeks. And, and Case Keenum, is, I thought, was good enough to play those four or five weeks. I think no, they sabotaged him. Yeah, during the season, uh, you know, we were talking about that. You know, Chad and, and Tony were saying that he he should sit down. And, and I, I think they maybe maybe they wanted to, but Baker Mayfield doesn't seem like the type of player that wants to sit. But, yeah, he should have sat. I mean, I, I think it would have done, you know, him and the team a world of good. But, I mean, look where he's at now. Right. I, I mean, he's. I, I think he's in limbo, even though with, 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 uh, with Watson also being in limbo, because you don't know if he's going to have any type of uh, suspension from the NFL yet. So, you know, you need Baker Mayfield, but there's no market for him right now. Well, let me, I'll give you my thoughts real quick. I think the whole situation stinks. I don't like the Deshaun Watson. I know he's a quality quarterback, but I don't like what they did to Baker. And I agree with you 100%. They did him wrong. He was playing hurt. And I hope Baker, whatever team he goes to, just sticks it to him. That's where I, I stand. I thought that kid could get us to the Super Bowl. I, I, I you know. I, which is unbelievable because we've had some great teams and we just never have gotten to the Super Bowl. And how many years is it now? 57, is it? Or 58 years for Super Bowls? Tony, I'll like that, that one. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> incredible when you think about it. My God. And uh, Dino, when you think about you know those that, years, but... you know, Dino, in, in your years, I, you, you played five years. And I believe there's at least three, and Tony will know this because he's the savant when it comes to uh, – to this, but I think believe three, three or four of those years, uh, you guys were above 500. You guys were, were playoff teams. Um, I mean, you lost that game to, um, I guess when Sype threw that interception in the, in the end zone. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, you know, that was a, you know, that, that was a tough loss, but those, right, years, right, 88. Yeah, yeah. Those, th yeah, those, those years, you know, you were there, you guys won a lot of games. You were, you were top 10 in kickoff and punt returns every year you played. Well, I don't know about every year, but I got it right here in front of me. Because <laughs> um, my uh, my rookie year was my best year. I'll be honest with you. I, I, I had no fear of anything at that that point. And I had a, a, a terrible game. I mean, to the point where, you know, it, most people uh, it would have crushed. I fumbled the ball three times in the, in the last game of the year against Cincinnati. And the one fumble I lost on my average, a yard, because it, the guy knocked it out of my arms. He, he, he just, his helmet hit there, and it flew 30 yards backwards. I mean, when I tell you, well, and we didn't recover, which kind of was not a good thing, but, I mean, it was incredible. And so the next year, Keith came back. He returned punts. I returned kicks with him. And, you know, I didn't play much running back that year. But my rookie year, I played a lot of running back, which I, that was the one thing that I really – was disappointed. I never was able to play four downs in the backfield. It was uh, listen when I came change in, of pace. Yeah, well, yeah, when I came in, all of a sudden they're like, "All right, he's in. He's going to get the ball." You know, so now I'm a little bit of pressure. You know, although I I thought I was pretty successful a lot of times, but the thing is, like I would have liked to have been in there first, second, and third down just to see what what I could have done. And listen, was I going to be a blocking back? No. And we had Mike Pruitt who yeah, the Pruitt you know, boys somebody to block for him, but. Um, and look, Charlie White, like you were, you were talking about Deke, about myself, Charlie White was 
he, he had no restrictions on the way he played. Now he listen. He didn't have the speed that they they thought he was going to have. He did, but he was one of the toughest players I ever played with. I mean, our linemen used to love watching how he pass blocked in that 1980 season. I mean, it was incredible. Well, I wanted to see you were talking special teams, and I have a near and dear favorite Cleveland Brown. No disrespect to you, Dino. But he broke some of your records, and I went to college Josh. with him. Kent State University, Mr. Josh Cribbs. Josh. Yeah, Kent State right, right there. Boom, Kent. <laughs> <laughs> nah, he, he, he's a great player. You're right, Chad. I, I, you know, I, I got a chance to meet him a couple of times. The first time I met him in, in uh, Baltimore, because I used to – we're like three hours from Baltimore, so we would drive there to watch a Baltimore Browns game. And uh, what a special kid, and what, what, what a really nice young man. Really is. I don't know what he's doing now. Is he coaching or doing anything? Uh, Tony, yeah, I like a TV this. show. <laughs> a local Cleveland doing? show. Oh, yeah, it's only one of those local yokel shows. Wow. But what's funny is he was a quarterback at Kent State. He uh, in the MAC. He was a quarterback, and then you know he tra- he became a special teams just guru. Uh, he was awesome. Listen, you know you, you don't find many guys. There was a guy from Chicago. Uh, Lester, Devin, uh, Devin Lester. Hester, Hester. Hester. Yeah. He, he was unbelievable. You know, it, you don't find many. Hey, listen, the guy that, uh, the cube cube was, he, he weighed, he, cause I, I met him. He said, look, I only weighed 140 pounds when he played in Cleveland. Could you imagine playing at 140 pounds? And he played receiver. He would go out there in the, in the slot and, you know, catch as many, but he was another player that was, was unbelievable. I wanted to ask you when you talk about as the, you know, cardiac kids year was incredible. I mean, you, anywhere you go, everybody mentions it in Cleveland, everything. And then eventually as the eighties kind of went about, you had the, uh, uh, so your, your final year was 1983, but this is also the time where now you have the USFL and you have all these other leagues really starting up. Like, was there, were you thinking about it, your opportunity? Because I, I, I says my my uncle actually ended up got picked up by the Oakland Raiders back in 1980, and the problem was when he got cut by I don't I don't know if it was Flores or John Madden was the coach at the time. When he ended up getting cut, there wasn't another league. There wasn't like what it is now, where you can go to the Arena Football League, you can go overseas, you can play in Canada, you could do. It was just it was that or you're selling insurance. Now, was right. there that fear for you where you're like, I'm out of football right now. What do I do? What's my next move here? Um, you know what? I, I had no clue. Honestly, <laughs> uh, ended up with a degree. And, and fortunately, I was able to use that later on. I was a teacher for 31 years. But um, 83, I got cut. I actually got a phone call from Chuck Knox from Seattle. Um, they were in the playoffs. Now, that. The season was done, but they, their returner got hurt and they, they, they actually talked to me about coming out, but they used somebody else. And the same thing happened with the dolphins. Could you imagine the dolphins ended oh, up the Super Bowl that year? So I, I got called by them because, uh, what was his name? They're Fulton Walker. Yeah. He ended up breaking his jaw and they weren't sure if he was going to be able to play, which he ended up playing because he scored a touchdown. He returned one for a touchdown. Um, but I, I almost got picked up there. Could, I, I would have made more money in the four games playing with them than I made in the 16 playing with the Browns a year before. It's incredible. Yeah, but that, also, but, 
And yeah, I, well, I, I want to go ahead, Tony. No, 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 you go, Ken. I, I you know, Dino, I wanted to ask you, you played three, I think it was three years uh, with Lyle Alzado. I, I, I think, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, 79, 81, three years with Alzado. You must have some Alzado stories. I mean, he, uh, you know, look, it's, it's legendary now. You know, we know how he died. Um, you know, he, he, you know, before his death, he, he felt that he, um, you know, he, he got the brain cancer due to the, just the, uh, uh, you know, amount of steroids he was taking, basically, you know, like not cycling off and things like that. But how, how was he to be around during those, uh, I guess it was the early part of his career as well. Well, he had been in Denver for a while. Prior. That's right. He was in Denver. That's right. Yep. He, um, yeah. He was eight years in Denver. Yeah. Yeah. So then he came with us and that was after he fought Ali too. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, but no, I tell you, Lyle was different, but he was only 260 when he was in uh, Cleveland. He, he wasn't doing all that stuff. Then right before he went to Oakland and played with them, he was 295. So he had to be doing something. And, um, and it, his eyes were, I don't know if you've ever seen his eyes, like when he played. I mean, they, they were. Bugging they, out. His pupils were as big as his, yeah. everything else in his eye. It was, it was, it was kind of crazy to watch him play. But um, now we, it, we actually, um, we, we played with some guys that, like Lyle was a character. Clay Matthews was, was a fun guy to be around. I mean, I, I played, played uh, Dick Ambrose. I don't know if you know Judge Ambrose, but another great yep. guy. Another name. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, they were all good people to be around. And Lyle was too. Now, um, uh, a friend of mine is a bartender at Yesterday's. I don't know if you've ever been there, Ken. Absolutely. <laughs> Ron. <Yes>. So, <laughs> so Ron, Ron came out with my cousin to visit me. So we're, we're playing a game at the table and Alzado's there with us and he's playing with us. You know, so Ron wins and Alzado looks at him, you know, goes, and, and, and Ron goes, oh, man, what's, what's wrong with him? And he goes, listen, don't laugh at me again. Don't, <laughs> he tells Ron. So Ronnie's like, all right, Mr. Alzado, I definitely won't do anymore. But yeah, Lyle, Lyle was good people. I mean, there wasn't a bad person on the team, I'll be honest with you. I, I can't say like, well, I really dislike this guy. Although I'll tell you a story. I First five weeks, Keith Wright in 1979 is the uh, returner for the Browns. He gets hurt. They call me up, and I'm having dinner with my mom and, and, and my family, and, and all of a sudden, it's this guy, Denny Lynch, who was the assistant general manager. He goes, Dino, we need you in Cleveland. I said, what? He goes, yeah, Keith blew his knee out. Sam told me to call you. We want you back in tomorrow. So, man, I, I hang the phone up. I'm friggin' excited, crazy excited. I, I end up, you know, saying, Mom, man, I, I, they want me to come. So I end up flying in, and that's the week that we play the Steelers. Well, the Steelers had played the Eagles that week, and they lost like 13 or 7 or something like that. And I, I'm thinking, because I used to watch the Eagles, obviously being in that area, and, and I'm thinking, man, whoever plays them, man, they're going to take a, an ass whooping next week. And, and guess who played them? <laughs> I, I was playing against them. It was, we had nine kickoffs to tell you how many times they scored against us. So, well, hey, Dino, let me ask you this because uh, we have a lot of Cleveland listeners, and Tony and I are like somewhat Cleveland historians. When you were living there, where were some of your hangouts? What were some of the places you would go to, like the old school places, restaurants, bars? You name, like, I'm just curious. Well, in Berea, we used to go because that's where the where, facility is. 
Yeah. So uh, Rampant Lion, it was called. I, obviously, it's not there anymore. Right. Uh, Puffer Belly was a, a place there, like a little train station. It still is in Kent, actually. There's one so, in Kent. Um, there, there was another place that we used in Great Northern Mall. I forget the name of it, but uh, I used to meet the Ambroses there and some other people, Matthews. and, and But, yeah, we used to hang out there. But uh, I remember going down to Flats back then, and it was all mud. You know, your parking was a... a a muddy lot now it's beautiful down there pretty incredible there's still muddy lots though <laughs> oh is there <laughs> well, yeah it's still that, that, to get, but yeah they they did a nice uh, revamp of the east bank of the flats right now yeah it's, it's pretty amazing well, did you go over to captain frank's i i was not there not that was captain. uh that was the fish joint which is where uh the rock and roll hall of fame is now located okay all right and i'm doing yeah, this no, for tony I, right now do you know who this is I'm going to put it on the screen. <laughs> I'm not sure. Who is that? That's Superhost. He hosted on Channel 43 WUAB. I was just testing you. I didn't want to know. Because <laughs> he brought wow. up Big Chuck and Little John earlier. I wanted to know if you knew who that guy was. I, I thought he was going to say he tackled me or something. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, you were, we started off the podcast. that you, So you did a Big Chuck and Little John sketch. Is that true? Two of them. Yeah, Deacon and I did. Uh, first one, we were dressed up like cowboys, and um, I, I walk in, and it's his, it's his house, I guess, obviously, and his girlfriend, and I start sweet-talking to her, and then he, he shows back up, and he um, knocks on the door, and he goes, right, where is he? Where is that little Dino Hall? I know he's here, and he brings in this little hobby horse, and he sets it down right there in, in the what's it? So I'm, I'm hiding in the closet with this big gun in my hand. And so he, he goes, he can only be hiding in three places. So he checks the first one, not there. Second one, not there. Pulls the third one and I, I stick the gun in his face and he goes, not there. <laughs> Cue the laugh track. Yeah, yeah it, was, it, was, it was a, then we did like a Ben Crazy skit. When they, That's right. Was ben That's crazy. That crazy shirt I have on yeah. right now. Now, how about, how about this? This is true. Uh, uh, Chad, do you know the origin of the laugh from Big Chuck and Little John? No clue. So it, it was like a whole charity thing. And the guy who does the laugh is a guy named Jay Lawrence, who was an actor. Jay Lawrence is the stage name of a guy uh, who was an actor for a long time, character actor. And his brother is Larry Storch from F Troop. Wow. So so the the uh, Big wow. Chuck and Little John laugh there was Larry Storch's brother, if you can believe that, who also was Mr. Whoopi on uh, Tennessee Tuxedo and all, all those things. Ken, See, this, you, is, this is why you have me on the podcast, right, Ken? I don't know. <laughs> but Ken, you got to understand, this is like back when there was like four channels and Big Chuck and Little John were huge in Cleveland. Like to, They were iconic. They were, yeah, they, it, yeah, TV here in South Jersey, especially down beach back then, was a little different, right, Dino? It was a little, a little different, uh, you know, down beach here. We uh, had, we, pick, well, we I, had I pick, remember having an sand. antenna when I was younger. Yeah. The antenna, and we, we actually, you know, if I probably had to go on the roof and move it around a little bit. And, uh, we had the antenna till, until 1965, then all down beach here got cabled. And every Sunday was a doubleheader Sunday from the, uh, from the mid to late 60s into when the, uh, 
when the uh, blackout uh, rules changed, you know, Channel Three was NBC, right, Dino, and yeah. you know, and and they were that was AFC, and Channel Four was CBS, that was NFC, and every Sunday was uh was was a doubleheader Sunday here. No, well, then we had UHF, VHF. Like, I, I don't even think my kids know what a UHF or VHF right, is. Yeah. They've watched cable all this time. So Neither does Chad or Tony, Dino. Did, huh? did you guys get Philly stations or, or oh, New yeah. York? We got, we Philly, got Philadelphia. Philly, but we, we got Philly. We got New, down here, down beach. We got Philly, New York, and all the, you know, the, the, the we call them what? The little, the little um, like side channels. Like we got. Oh, when you, know, you had three, cable. You yes, got we got we got yeah. that. We had cable, but you yeah, guys, but, yeah, you but guys. When you had the them. antenna, we, nah. we could get Philadelphia yeah. channels only. Uh, yeah, we got three, six, and ten, but we got yeah. you know channel nine. You know was was the the Mets. Channel eleven was the Yankees. Channel five was was Philadelphia. Channel seven was Philadelphia. That was always the Phillies, right? You know, back then it was always yeah, that the was Phillies. that was channel seventeen. Yeah, yeah. 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 Who was called? Actually, the, I, I'm sorry. Uh, who, 40, 40, uh 48 was a channel. We got UHF. Yeah. Uh, 17, and I think 57 was the other 57, one. 57, yeah. That was the other one. For a oh, long time. Three, six, and 10. That was, out of, that was out of Atlantic City for a long time, Dino. That, I, that I, listen, I, I'm 66. I don't. I know you guys ain't 66. But no, I'm, I'm only a few years behind you, Dino. I'm 68. I'm 68 years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice like, try. You aged well, Chad. I can tell you that. <laughs> I have, a, I have an interesting segue here. So I'm 34. So when I was growing up, you had the, the cavernous stadium at uh, Cleveland uh, Municipal Stadium. And I remember growing up, I would turn on what I would think would be the Browns game. So the Browns were on NBC at the time, which was, uh, and I would turn it on and I would see the Dolphins playing, you know, the Patriots. I'm like, what? And I'm flipping through the channels. I'm like, because I didn't understand the blackout rules when I was a kid. And in those days, these were the post-Bernie Kosar days where, Bill Belichick's the head coach. And there were a lot of times that Browns games were not being sold out. So you would either have to drive to Erie, Pennsylvania or Toledo to get out of that 75 mile radius to watch a game. And towards the end, before the Browns ended up leaving, they were kind of a, an unlikable team. They weren't as likable as the, you know, the the Hanford Dixons and the Bernies and everybody in the, towards the mid to late eighties. Vinny Testaverde was the quarterback, right? Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. colorblind Testaverde. And (laughs) so I wanted to ask you, Dino, uh, you get towards that time, you end up getting released by the Browns in 83, 12 years later, well, right around that time as actually when the Colts ended up uh, bolting with the Mayflower heading over to Indianapolis, what were your thoughts on Art Modell, the move to Baltimore, and just the fact that the team that you played for, the only team that you played for ceased to exist at that point? I, I was upset. I'll be honest with you, Tone. I, I, I thought uh, Art just made a decision on his own, but a, after a while, after I really found out what was going on, um, he had no choice. Like he, he actually, if he doesn't move, he loses the team. So he moves. He, I mean, they gave him everything. They gave him the stadium parking. They gave him stadium concessions. I mean, they gave him money to move. I, so did he make the right decision? I, I don't think so because I, I'm a Browns fan, but did he make the right financials? Um, he, he did. The move was right for that. But and, and listen, side. I, it, it was like, my, I went to Glassboro State, and a guy, this guy, Rowan, you know, he got involved. He donated $100 million to the school. So they changed the name of the school from Glassboro State to Rowan. I'm like, oh, 
Christ, man, I can't believe it. <laughs> so now, now the Browns leave. I'm there like, oh my God, like they become the Ravens. Like the two teams I played for, they both moved in or or changed their names. So and what you- was the corporate center? Dino, what was the corporate center for that Mayflower uh, moving company? Pleasantville, New Jersey. Oh, was it really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that was that. That was where they were initially. That's where they initially started from. The Mayflower. Yeah. Oh. Right down there on California Avenue. I didn't realize that. Wow. Yep. Yeah. Did you stay in touch with Ozzy when he went to Baltimore? Did you happen to speak with him? Well, him and uh, a guy, Moriarty. I don't know if you know Pat. Pat. Pat is her, um, he does contracts and stuff like that for them now. But he was with Art here in Cleveland, but he played a year in the NFL. He played in 79. He was one of the uh, other running backs that played in 79. But um, so he ended up moving. So I, I stay in touch with Pat a lot. And I talk to Ozzy also. I, it's not so much that we correspond, you know, regularly, but I, I, I do talk to Oz a little bit. Like I, I I, two of the guys they had, Bill, um, what was Bill's last name? Anyway, he, he was our trainer. He was a fantastic trainer. Well, he went to Baltimore with him. And this guy, Eddie Carroll, was, he, he did all the driving, the trucks, moved all the equipment, stuff like that. Well, they retired. So I went down there and uh, about five of us from the Browns went down because we really liked Bill and Eddie. And uh, so... Ozzy's telling a story about the first time he saw me coming into the locker room. He goes, he goes yeah, I, I thought I was just somebody, you know, they had to give somebody's friend uh, a chance to let this, this kid into the, uh, uh, to try out for us. And I was there like, man, he just threw me under the bus like that, didn't he? And he goes, he goes, yeah. And then he started talking, he goes, no, but Dean was really a good, uh, well, they used to call me Deansky. He goes, Deansky was a, was a good player, but. But I mean, he just was there. I was like, wow, you know, I had to feel small around him too. Like, I, we're, we're playing in Buffalo. I, I get it great. And so, if you knew anything about Rich Stadium, Rich Stadium, they, the fans were right on top of you. I mean, if you had a, a 15 yard buffer, I, that that's saying a lot. So, all of a sudden, I'm standing next to this guy, Matt Miller, who him and I were really good friends. Not really six, 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 seven. So he he hears and I hear this guy screaming, hey, 71, 71. And, you know, he didn't have to scream. We, he probably didn't talk. We would have heard him. So he goes, hey, there's a helmet right next to you moving. So <laughs> him and I looked at each other and just started laughing. I was like pretty damn good <laughs> what was your favorite place to play in i mean I, I, i'll let's take cleveland out but like you said you hated playing in the astrodome because it was tough to see but like was, was there a good stadium that you really enjoyed playing in like the wind was right or was it was it something definitely south where you didn't have to deal with the elements well the three teams we played in our division all had astroturf like cincinnati had astroturf uh, Pittsburgh AstroTurf. Um, so it played them twice a year. The other teams, like Tampa, Tampa had a beautiful field. Now it was 98 and the, the sombrero. 98 too. So, but the field was beautiful. I, it's not something that I would want to play in every week. I'll be honest with you. I, I liked our home stadium. I really did. I, 
you know, I, I enjoyed playing in the municipal stadium. Now it was funny because guys would come in and they're trying to catch a punt. And if you didn't know the wind, like the wind would come in off the lake and just swirl around. And some days it really came off hard. So now you would set up for a punt and now it's five yards behind you because you, you didn't plan for that. Well, if you played there, you knew that. I, I remember watching the one, I, I forget who we were playing, but he, he's trying to catch before the game. I'm like, oh, he's going to have problems today. And darn if he didn't, man. The ball landed five or ten yards behind him like twice because it, it just would pick it up and carry it. It just that, – that's the thing about municipal. But I – even though I didn't like the infield, I, I love that field, playing on that field. Well, let me ask you this. Since we're talking municipal and it's a big thing going on in sports, not just Cleveland – I grew up a Cleveland Browns fan. I grew up a Cleveland Indians fan. Now, there's a situation that's going on where that doesn't exist anymore. They're called the Guardians. I want to know where do you stand on this? What's your thoughts on this controversial name change that no one seems to like? Well, I, I just I, I finally found out why they changed it to the Guardians. There must be some statues on one of the bridges coming into the city, and that's why they changed it. But um I don't, I still call them the Indians. I'll, I'll be honest. With you. Like I, I got a bat from Joe Charbonneau. Um, <laughs> had him Charbonneau. sign something like he, Super Joe was, he was amazing in 1980. It, yeah. It they wrote a song about him. Yeah, uh, yeah they did. Super uh, Joe. But, and, and a good guy. He, there's a, well, Moriarty and I are playing in 79 and, and uh, Su- Joe's hanging around with Moriarty, not 79, might've been 80. And he's hanging out around with Moriarty. And Moriarty had this old sport jacket on. And we they come walking in. And it's Doug Deacon's Monday night show that we're all at. So Joe's trying to get Pat's attention. So, you know, I'm watching him. And all of a sudden, he just grabs the bottom of Pat's uh, jacket, rips it straight up. So I, he tore it in half. I was there like, he didn't just do that, did he? he goes, and Pat was there like, he just ripped my jacket. I said, yeah, he did. It was incredible. But, it, you know, it, but he was fun. Look, there was a lot of people that were fun back then. Back then, they were getting 7,500 to 8,000 people a game for the Indians. I mean, it was it was horrendous. It was a shame. But Because that stadium holds a lot of people. And it, it just it, it looked like, you know, they had two high school teams coming in and playing. You know, that, that would be the, the normal that you would get. But it, it was... It was a shame, but you know he, he was a character, Joe. He flashed out fast too, right? He hurt his back and he uh, hurt flashed himself. out. Yeah, yeah flashed out. Yeah. He was a shame. Yeah, he was uh, actually. We got a chance to hang out with him a couple of years ago. My wife and I we went to a bar over in actually in Berea, and we uh, were just hanging out after. I think we went to a concert that night, and uh, he goes to the bathroom, and I tell my wife, I'm like, you know who that is, right? And she's like, no, I'm like, it's. Joe Charbonneau and he's just hanging out we're just do- ripping shots and he takes his shirt off at the bar I mean the guy's like oh, close. he's got to be 66 67 years old he's got like an eight pack washboard abs at this <laughs> I'm like, wow he, you were in great shape yeah Joe Charbonneau was uh I mean he's a, he's another legend in Cleveland he's another he's like Dino Hall Dino if you ever come back to town I'm sure if you just mention your name you, you won't have to buy a, a meal or a drink at a bar anywhere I always come back to there. I I, I'm, I was there three times this past year. Like when Deacon, uh, his last game, mm-hmm. uh, I ended up, dro- actually I drove out because they canceled my flight. So I drove out and um, 
that, that was a really special day, man. He, Doug Deacon, I tell you, and I don't know if you guys know him personally, but really, really super guy. And now he, he doesn't give me a break as far as, you know, busting my chops, but, <laughs> but you know what? I, you know, he's just one of those guys kind and, and, um, you know, I, I, I like being around him. So, um, you know, it's funny when I worked at MMS on the radio, we had afternoon drive. We had our sales room. Our conference room was called the Doug Deacon room. They named it after him with a plaque. So we were like, we're going to the, to the Doug Deacon room to meet up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I well, have you ever been to close quarters out in uh, Bay Village? Oh, it's yes. A, it's a little bar, but it's a great little place. Um, you know, I, I, I would uh, meet Doug there a couple of times, but, but yeah, last year I was there three times. I, I actually found out now I, I end up having a daughter in Cleveland, uh, never knew anything about her for 38 years. And then we, I did ancestry.com and she did it maybe a month or two after and found out that, um, you know, we, we were father daughter. So wow, breaking news. This is breaking news her. on she's, the, uh, she's Rackman been podcast. here. No, she's, she's been here and, and my, you know, my wife met her and really likes her. She's got three wonderful kids. So, uh, Ryan, if you're listening, I just want to say hello to you. <laughs> Do they live in Cleveland? They, they live in Brooklyn. Oh, Brooke. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's where my parents were from. Hey, Dino, you played a, um, no, Brooklyn, I, I, Ohio. Kenny. Oh, Brooklyn, Ohio. Okay. Yeah, yeah, my, Brooklyn, my parents Ohio. are Brooklyn, New York. But um, yeah, you played a Thanksgiving game, didn't you? In 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 Dallas, I did. I remember. Yeah, you played a Thanksgiving day. You guys lost, but um, hey, Dino, my, how much how much of the Cowboys suck? Do you think? I think they're terrible. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> but Dino scored a touchdown. Dino had an eighteen yard reception for a touchdown. What do you remember about that? Uh, that it was a touchdown. <laughs> he, he, no, I, I, well, Paul McDonald actually was in the game at that time. And, uh, I, I was, I was actually getting in a lot. That was in 82. That was right yeah. after the strike. I mean, we, we had a 59, 59 day strike or 58 day strike. It was something crazy. Uh, and that was my fourth year. That's the year that I was going to get, um, my pension. So we, you're supposed to have three games. We only had two games when we went out on strike. And we weren't sure if we were going to come back. And I was there like, oh, my God. You know, I'm not sure if I was going to get my pension or what. But uh, but we returned, and a lot of guys were out of shape. But I stayed in shape. So I, I ended up playing a lot when we first got back in there. So it may have been around that time. You know, I wonder when I saw you at LeVan – I'm trying to think back of the years I was, you know, I played all those years. I wonder if you guys were on strike then, but yeah, Dallas beat you guys pretty good that day. <laughs> but um, yeah, you, you always kept yourself in great shape. I mean, we used to run, as you remember with, with Joe Henry, you know, we, we played a lot of ball with, uh, and God bless him. You know, he, uh, um, we played a lot of ball back in the day with Joe and, and he kept us all in good shape. Didn't he? Um guy played every day down there at, at noon to like 1230 or whatever. I, I, you guys don't know him, uh, Chad and Tony. This guy coached me when I was uh, at, uh, it's called the Atlanta County Junior Football League. And I played in that and I played for Pleasantville Tornadoes. And he was one of our coaches, a little guy, but he worked in Margate. That's where Kenny grew up. And he would play, instead of go out and eat lunch, he would play basketball with the kids 
at his lunch break every day, um, I, right across from the Jewish Community Center. Yeah. Uh, I, was, the courts are now named after him. Are they really? Wow, yeah, the I courts, did not know that. The courts are named after him, yeah. yeah. Did Yogi do that? Yogi, Yogi, Yogi did that, yep, yep. Uh, Yogi did it. that. Yogi lives right, right up the block here from, from me. Wow. Um, so I see, yeah, I talked to Yogi, a uh, little inside baseball guy. Sorry about that. But yeah, I, I talked to Yogi uh, all the time. I played a lot of years for, uh, for Yogi. I just want to bring this up real quick. The last time the Browns played the Cowboys, uh, they beat them 49-38. Just giving you a heads up on that. <laughs> that was, that was what, two years ago, Chad? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm just saying the three and one Browns beat the one and three Dallas Cowboys that year. I'm just saying. <laughs> Gentlemen, I, I have to bounce here. I'm getting discharged from the hospital here. Uh, but uh, Dino, it's a pleasure speaking with you. I'd love to hang out with you and Ken sometime. We're going to go to Atlantic City. My, the missus and I are trying to plan another trip there because uh, we went during pandemic time and things just weren't the same. Uh, so, yeah, I'd love to catch up and uh, have some dinner. But we got to have lunch first at uh, White House Subs. That's what <laughs> okay. we, we can do that. We'll arrange that. And actually, right down the street is called Angeloni's. Is a really good attack. That's the spot. Alan okay. Angeloni's. Yeah. Alan Angeloni, right, Dino? Yeah. Alan Angeloni. Yeah. That's the spot. Is right. That's yep. a great place to go. So, yeah, I'll we, make it happen, Tony. I'll make it happen. Kenny, Kenny's got yeah, my absolutely. Number. Well, thank, uh, thanks, gentlemen. Check your brain podcast uh, every Wednesday for free and Patreon.com/slash Tony Mazer. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, okay. thanks all for the well wishes too. With all my, uh, for whatever reason, my body's just shutting down. <laughs> Hey well, Tony. Tony. It is the Check Your Brain podcast here, and it's Tony Mazur, and I'm with a guy who's a 1980 Pro Bowler, great Philadelphia Eagles player, quarterback, and has uh, been on television, ESPN, for several years, several decades, actually, and has been all over the place, very colorful personality on TV and great analyst, and uh, joined by Ron Jaworski, and I'm also joined by Dr. David Strobel, who's a cardiologist, and we're going to talk a little more than just football right now talk about heart health and cardiovascular disease and especially february is heart health month and putting that spotlight on cardiovascular disease and i guess uh let's start it out uh, ron first of all talk about what got you into uh, putting this spotlight on cardiovascular disease and heart health yeah there, there, there is no doubt you know if you play in the national football league for 17 years like i did and you throw in four years at youngstown state university four years at Lackawanna High School. That's 28 years of playing football. So uh, you got to figure my body got beat up pretty good. But I think for the most part, I've taken good care of myself. And uh, at this point, I would say I'm healthy. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I've, I've had some experiences, particularly what happened about six months ago. My brother passed away uh, from heart disease. And it, it, it really woke me up. And I'd been doing a podcast, uh, True to Your Heart, uh, with Amarin, another great team, and I learned a lot about what you have to do to be healthy, to have a healthy heart. And it is Heart Health Month, the month of uh, February. It's also the month of the big game and championships and all that. But I, I really have learned how to take care of myself from some of the leading experts in the field. You know, you're going to hear from prominent cardiologist Dr. David Strobel in just a moment. But it's people like this that have taught me what's important to take care of my myself. So I can get on that golf course twice a week. So. It's a big month for football. It's a big month for heart health. And I'm just glad to be on another great team. Well, yeah, absolutely. And when you think about with heart health, it's it's interesting because we kind of 
put it on the back burner a lot of a lot of it and then all of a sudden you start to see it affect a lot of people like yourself uh that, that you saw in your family and you go boy now i need to start looking in like we've put this spotlight on you know when somebody has uh, colon cancer or colon problems and then next thing you know the whole family's getting colonoscopies so putting this spotlight on heart health and let's be honest uh, in the last, you know, 40, 50 years, some of the diets that we've been having have been not very good for our hearts. And we need to continue putting that <laughs> yep. spotlight on what we need to do to better prepare ourselves before it's too late. Yeah, Tony, that's why I really enjoy doing the True to Your Heart podcast. You know, like I said, I've been with the best people uh, you could possibly imagine. We've educated not only myself, but our listening audience. And it, it, it really has been a great experience for me. And I've learned, you know, I, I knew it as a professional athlete, how important exercise is, staying in shape. So, you know, we're getting that message out. Diet, nutrition, you've got to eat properly. You know, take your blood pressure. I, I now have a – I take my blood pressure every single day just to be sure. You know, I've learned that through doing the, the podcast. You know, my, my weight. You know, when you get older, you know, that, that belly kind of hangs down a little bit. Well, I've worked to knock that off and get myself in great shape. And as, as much as I like to smoke a cigar every once in a while, I got to brush that off as well. So I've learned, I've been educated how to take care of my body. Joined also by uh, cardiologist Dr. David Strobel. And Dr. Strobel, one, one thing that has been popping up recently, and we've been seeing what's happened during the COVID pandemic, is you're seeing a lot of, you know, it's, you know, that's the whole topic of dying with COVID and from COVID, but a lot of it is because of. Uh, comorbidities and a big one is heart disease that we've seen in the last several years and this is kind of one of them that you're seeing a lot of this hand in hand uh dr strobel talk a little bit about the link that we've seen in the pandemic the last couple of years with cardiovascular disease tony that's an excellent point uh of course the pandemic has been horrible but cardiovascular disease really dwarfs uh the numbers uh deaths from cancer, you were mentioning colonoscopies. If we had as much attention to treating and preventing heart disease as, as the press has gotten into COVID treatments and, and even cancer, everybody worries about that, but cardiovascular disease is such uh, more prevalent. About 50% of people will develop some form of vascular disease before they die. The, the people that I'm most worried about though are the ones um, that are fortunate enough to survive their heart attack. Very sad to hear about Ron's brother but about 30% of people don't make it to the hospital. But those that survive the heart attack, they're still bad news. Their, their risk remains very elevated. They have a persistent increased risk. And in fact, studies have suggested that 50% or up to 50% of patients that have had a heart attack will have another cardiovascular event, such as a, a stroke, another heart attack, or a, a vascular procedure. So we're seeing this you know, during, during COVID. Um, you know, the, the treatment, the urgency that we need to address these patients and reduce their risk. Dr. The good news is we do have therapies. I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, please. no, I was just going to say, because uh, when you were talking about therapies, what are some ways that some warning signs that, you know, we kind of pushed off for many years and then all of a sudden you're like, wow, I didn't realize I had the, this many problems and this, uh, w what's going on. What are some of the warning signs that we can kind of pick up on early on so we can try to reverse this course? A great question. So we know that, for example, LDL or bad guy cholesterol is a risk factor, and we do have treatments to lower that LDL. But as you pointed out, there are many other warning signs or clues of, of persistent increased risk. And 
like Ron would, I'm sure, agree over his career, he needed a good defense to win some games. And, and we yep. have to anticipate and try to prevent, you know, the next event. So uh, each patient is different. Each case is different. I really would encourage uh, patients and their families to to be their own Pro Bowl quarterback, to, to, to go to trueteyourheart.com, a great resource to learn about your opponent, learn about vascular disease, uh, learn about uh, treatments, uh, and go to your physician equipped with those questions. And, and don't be shy. Um, you know, we're basically for these patients at a two-minute warning, and you're at the goal line, and, and you don't want to you want to fumble the ball going in the end zone, right, uh, Ron? It's uh, uh, so we want touchdowns. We want touchdowns. Exactly. <laughs> and so you want to follow that winning game plan that you can actually craft uh, with your with your healthcare provider. But, but again, I would encourage people, you know, don't put it off on the calendar as Ron's pointing out, do, do it now, uh, you know, take action uh, and, and, and take advantage of these resources. Yeah. So Ron, you retired in 1989 from the game and, you know, we've seen a lot of uh, more spotlight on proper health, especially after playing careers, because you would see a lot of guys that uh, you're you're training at the highest level. You're at peak performance. And then when you retire, you know, what do you do? And you see a lot of guys put on a lot of weight and you're like, wow, boy, I didn't recognize him. He put on a lot of weight after his career because you're, you're not in the gym every day. You don't have that camaraderie. What it, I, I think we've done a lot. Yeah, better. And, and, and no, go, go, go ahead. And I agree with you. I think most players. You know, they, they know what it takes to be successful at their career, the commitment to be healthy. But also, you get away from the game. You don't have a coach chewing you off for gaining weight, uh, for not being in shape. You know, they, everyone's taking conditioning tests now. I think what happens to players, you know, they, they just get lazy. And, and it's, a, it's a rude awakening when all of a sudden you retire and five years later you go see a doctor and your blood pressure is high, you know, your cholesterol's out of whack, you know, you're having to smoke every now and then. Uh, all those things are bad, and and I think players realize, hey, I was a well-conditioned athlete at one time in my life. I got to get back to that. I, you know, they want to take care of their body, but sometimes that kick in the butt, you need to get going. And you can learn more about it in TrueToYourHeart.com. You know, and Doc mentioned a moment ago, have a plan. You know, as a quarterback, you always have to have a plan. What's the game plan? How are we going to be successful? So get with your family. Get with your doctor. Develop a plan. A plan, as the doctor said, we don't want to kick field goals. We want touchdowns. And, and you threw a lot of them back in the day. And uh, last question, Jaws. I wanted to ask you just a quick football question. With the the amount of focus on the quarterback now, you're seeing these stats that Patrick Mahomes and a lot of these uh, quarterbacks are putting up that are just like demolishing old records. Uh, I mean. What, what? How would you feel if you played in today's game? I mean, you know, you played in a game where you were throwing the ball maybe like 15 times a game. Now they're throwing 50 times a game. Like, what? What kind of difference is this in this in the game and the uh, since the time you've been in the league? Yeah, the, the tone of the game is is totally different now. I played in an era where you could actually hit the quarterback. Uh, now you can't touch the quarterback, <laughs> and you know you're seeing teams coming out with three, four, and even five wide receivers literally on every formation. You're seeing. 500-yard passing games more predominant. So it's only a matter of time before all passing records are shattered, Tony. 